Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Anthology of Horror. I am your host, spring Jack, and we're going to be diving dick first once again into the Trojan Wars and the Trojan Campaign and the Death of Achilles, Life of Achilles, Death of Agamemnon, Menelaus, all those wonderful cast of characters, the hairiest woman in the world, Helen of Troy, um... So I know that I said I'm not going to really do the whole uh, Greek god thing because it doesn't really do anything for me, but uh, it's kind of impossible to tell the story without at least covering some of the bullshit. So we're going to jump back in with a disclaimer first and foremost of please don't play this at work if your boss is a sensitive pussy. Please don't play this for your children if they're sensitive pussies. This is not safe for whatever environment you are going to be playing it around sensitive pussies. And this is your NSF whatever the fuck disclaimer for your emotionally sensitive world. Probably shouldn't blame me for your mom, unless your mom has a great sense of humor. Also on a similar note, this will be an ad-free, guaranteed listening experience because nobody sponsors me. I'm a public relations nightmare. And I'm okay with that. So I finally have a format laid out for this uh, arc of podcasts. It's going to be like a pretty uh, loose, not a real extravagant in-depth dive into the Iliad, but at least a thorough telling and synopsis of the Iliad, so that I'm not going to bore you to death with all the Greek god shit. If that's your thing, there are plenty of podcasts that do it far better than me because I actually care. I just think it is rhetoric and horse dick, um, much the way I feel about most religions or spirituality-based beliefs, so sorry, not going to shine it on, don't believe in it, uh, I believe in history though, so you're going to get the story and then the historical basis, I have a very, very decent couple of episodes planned out based on the finding of the actual Troy and the history behind all of that and what we can prove based on science and not just the poem written by a potentially drunk asshole 3,000 years ago. So, last time we left the Greeks and Trojans in conflict, the battle had begun at dawn uh, with Paris and, I believe it was Menelaus, and Paris bitching off because old Sparkle Tits, the alleged god Aphrodite of tits and fucking, saved his life because he was a soft bitch, and he said she was pretty once, so she remembered that. But... The battle had begun at dawn, and it was now the hot middle part of the day, and the sun hung in the sky like a brass helmet. Dust hung in the air, hot as metal fillings. The exhausted men gasped like unwatered cattle. They could not feel their flesh. Or wait, they could feel their flesh charring where the sun hit their armor. Many of them threw off their armor and fought naked. Shaft of spear and lance and hilt of sword were so slippery with sweat that they slid out of the men's hand. Without any orders being given... The fighting subsided, and the armies drew off a little ways from each other to cool off in the late afternoon. During this lull, Hector returned to the Trojan city of Troy. He had two errands. First, dig his brother Paris out of the Boudoir and get him onto the battlefield, and secondly, to visit his wife, Andromaca. Andromaca was not at home. The servants told him that she was waiting at the Scaean Wall, so he went there to find her. They hugged. She said, you're hot and tired. Must you rush back to the battlefield? Can't you stay a while? Stay only a little while and let me make you comfortable. 
No, I must get back there, as I should love to stay and pass some cool and delicious hours in your matchless company, but I am the commander and must lead the men. You look so solemn, so sad. Have you come to tell me something special? No. I mean, sure, I've had a vision of Troy's defeat, and among all the scenes of carnage and disaster it drags in its wake, all I can see is one picture, and that is you, in time to come, have been borne away by some mailed conqueror to far-off Greece, and there in Argos or Attica or Sparta, I see you dressed in dull clothing, spinning at a loom or drawing water under the eye of your mistress, who will not be partial to you, for you will be too beautiful, more beautiful than she is, whoever she may be, and her husband, your master, will be spending his nights with you rather than with her. I see you a servant, a slave. That is what losing means, to be enslaved. And that sight of you there fills me with such sorrowful rage that I feel a giant strength, and I feel that I, personally, could interpose my body between Troy and all the Greek hordes, even if my comrades are cut down and kill until there's no Greek left. Those are fucking big words for a little man. And so the vision brings its own contradiction. And what do you make of that? What do I make of that? That you are very brave and very dear, and that I'm blessed beyond all women in my husband, for you, I believe, are the mightiest man ever to bear arms. How fucking sweet. And the noblest heart ever to bear another's grief. And when you meet Achilles or Ajax or Ajax or Odysseus, the gods will favor your cause, for you are living proof that their handiwork is excelling itself. Is it? Thank you for those words, said Hector. They are the sweetest I've ever heard in all my life, except maybe for something that my gay brother Paris had to say once. It is true, whether I can conquer Achilles or not, I must challenge him to single combat. These pitched battles waste our forces too much, and we do not have as many men to spare as do the enemy. Yes, I shall fight the strongest Achilles. And when I do, the memory of your loving words will make a victor's music in my ears, and then hopefully I'll win. He took his infant son from the nurse's arms, lifting him high as if stretching him towards the heavens. He said, Great Zeus, father of us all, hear a lesser father's prayers. I am a warrior. Some call me a hero. And as you know, a degree of self-esteem attaches to that condition. Instead of sacrificing a bull to you, then let me sacrifice my self-esteem, which I assure you is huge and hot-blooded and rampaging as any bull. Let me ask you this, that when my son is grown and he fights in battle, that all men must, and return therefrom, that men will say, of, this, of him only this. He's a better man than his father was. Uh, but this soft baby was frightened by his father's nodding horsetail plume and burst into tears. And Hector smiled and kissed him and gave him to his mother once again. And he kissed the mother and said, I must be off now, good wife. I must rout out lazy-ass Paris and try to prevail upon him to do a bit of fighting in this war that he has started. Adios. But it took him a while to press through the mob, and it seemed as, all, it seemed as if all of Troy was out in the street. Since he was their special hero, the people crowded around him, shouting questions, trying to touch him, and he kept a smile on his face, but forced his way steadily through the mob. However, his son's nurse had been so moved by his words on the wall that she had rushed off to tell everybody that she could find what her master has said. By the time he reached Paris's house and all Troy was buzzing with his speech to Andromica, and no woman who heard it could refrain from bursting into tears and thinking critically of her own husband, he found Paris with Helen polishing his armor. It's clean enough, you punk bitch. In fact, it's too clean. I should prefer it bloodied a bit. Ah, the old complaint, murmured Paris. Yes, the old complaint. You do not fight. Especially on your behalf, Paris. You're a bad example to the troops. And to create rancor among your brothers, the word has spread that you are a coward. I, too, have called you that in the heat of my displeasure. And yet, I know that you are not. You are too proud for cowardice. What you do is irresponsibility. You cannot bear the discipline of warfare. 
the compulsion, the iron urgency. You are like some magic child who can do anything but views his own caprice as the basic law of the universe. Well, you must drop that, for the cruel necessity of war is upon us, a war prompted by you being a dipshit. And you must play not only an honorable role, but a hero's role, because Zeus knows we need all the heroes we can muster. You keep saying these things, Hector, said Paris, but I haven't uttered one syllable of objection. Why do you think I'm polishing my armor? I never wear it to bed. A rumor, incidentally, that is whispered about you, big brother. No, I mean, to go to battle, I just want to look nice when I'm there. Dear brother Hector, said Helen, asshole of Troy, honorable commander, I know you think little of me because I'm a busted uh, half-off skank. I know you consider me a shameless woman who seduced your brother and plunged Troy into a dreadful war, and you're correct. Nevertheless, let me say this. My back has never been less hairy than these last few months at Troy, last few years, rather. And I, too, am always after him to do his share of fighting because if God knows I have to convince him. I am also of a warrior's race, you know. In fact, it is said that I am of a very prominent belligerence of Zeus himself, and he is potentially my father. I don't know how much truth there is in it, but they say that he wooed my mother in the shape of a swan and that I was born from a swan's egg. So someone hatched Helen of Troy, which accounts for my complexion and my feathers and beak. She smiled at Hector, and he could find no word of reproach to say to her. And in the blaze of Helen's smile, no man could remain wrathful. Oh, challenge accepted. Even Iron Hector was not immune. And I heard what you said to Andromaca, said Helen, a single pearly tear trembled on her eyelash without falling. I think it was the most beautiful thing any man has ever said to any wife, and this scoundrel here could never in a million years find such sentiments on his tongue, and he is famous for sweet speech. Truly, the thought of being enslaved in something that haunts every Trojan woman and devils every warrior. Truly, said Paris, no man likes to think of his wife being enslaved by anyone but himself. It's quite intolerable. See, he jokes even at that, cried Helen. What is one to do with him? Hector said, make a soldier out of him. Come on, pretty bitch, enough talk, let's fight. Paris knelt before Helen, took both of her hands, turned them over, and kissed each palm. Then he closed her hands and said, keep these there, or keep these until I come again. The sight of Hector and Paris emerging from the gate, fresh and shining, brought new heart to the Trojans, and they charged the Greek positions yet again. Led by Hector, Paris, and Aenes, they wrought great havoc among the enemy, who lost some of their best warriors in that day on the flurry. Athena, despite Zeus's edict, flew down from Olympus to help the Greeks, and this time she was intercepted by Apollo, who said, No, bitch, you must not. You are Zeus's favorite daughter, as everyone knows, and you should be the last to flout his commands. You see that I am keeping aloof from the battle, and so must you. I can't, cried Athena. I won't. Too many Greeks are being killed. There we go. Somebody's there. Someone's got the back. <laughs> Come away and listen to me. I have a plan to end this slaughter without any direct intercession on our part. So Athena joined Apollo under a huge oak tree. Owl goddess, he said, we can stop this killing by arranging that the battle be settled through single combat. This was attempted earlier in this day when Paris challenged Menelaus, but Paris bitched out and fled, and the idea came to not. However... We shall get great Hector to issue the challenge, and you may be sure that he will only fight to the finish, and it will only be against Achilles. God sends ideas to men in different ways, but whatever way they choose, it is necessary to create an illusion of personal authorship. That is, that each man believes the idea to be his own. The god's idea came to Hector as a dart of sunlight glancing off the tall helm of Ajax, which towered above his companions. Seeing that his high helmet gleamed, Hector said to Paris, Hey, you little shit, listen to this, I have an idea. 
and Paris was willing enough to stop fighting and listen because he was a bitch. Aeneas drew close to, and so did the other son of Priam, and the fighting was eased again as the Trojans held council on the field. They say, we have fought valiantly this day, said Hector. We prevented the Greeks from storming our walls, which was the intention in the morning, so in a sense we have won this battle, and in another sense we have not, nor can we win any head-to-head -head battle with the Greeks, for if our losses be equal or anywhere near equal, they will contribute towards our final defeat. The Greeks outnumber us, and we do not dare match their losses or even match half their losses, or by and by we shall find ourselves with no fighting men at all, and they will have a force capable of taking the city, which I propose is this, that I challenge one of their champions to single combat, and that he and that the honors of the day rest upon the results. If I win, I shall do this each day until either I shall have run through all the champions and so dishearten them that they must depart, or I myself am killed, leaving the decision to somebody else. Let me add that the absence of Achilles should be no little help to this project. His words met with general favor, and he stepped in front of the Trojan lines and addressed the Greeks. Honorable foes, he said, you have fought long and well upon this day, and you've killed a lot of us. We fought no less honorably and have killed a lot of you. But the sun sinks now and we've supplied the vultures with food enough for this day. Let me be a surrogate Trojan for the Trojan deaths and choose you a champion who will meet me and surrogate for your deaths. And upon our combat, let rest the honors of the day. If I lose, the victor may strip me of my armor, nor will any of my brothers oppose him. All I ask is that my body be returned to my father for decent burning. If the gods favor me in combat, then I will act in the same way towards my fallen foe. Come then, let me hear. Who wants to fight me? I'll wait. His voice blared like a trumpet across the lines, leaving silence after it, and the Greek champions looked at each other. Nobody was rushing to volunteer. And finally, Menelaus dragged himself to his feet and said, Well, I won one duel today. Maybe this is my day for winning. If none of you offer to fight him, then I must. But Agamemnon pulled him back. No, brother, not you. In plain words, if you fight Hector, you're going to get killed. This man belongs to the greatest warrior class of all time. Everybody acknowledges this, even our own Achilles. And for all his murderous pride, he's never seen fit to engage Hector in single combat. Somebody must fight him, cried Menelaus. If not I, then someone else. For shame, cried old Nestor, rising and berating them all in a dry voice like an angry cricket. For shame how the generations have shrunk. There were mighty men in my day. How they would laugh and scoff to see you sitting here like a circle of schoolgirls awaiting the master's rod. Come on, is there no one to volunteer? Then we must draw lots and let the gods choose. He took ships of woods and inscribed the names of the Greek champions, nine of them. Ajax, Ajax, Teucer, Idomenes, Diomedes, Odysseus, Agamemnon, Menelaus, and Nestor's own son, Antilochus. Antilochus, a very skillful charioteer. He shook the chips in his helmet and selected one, read the name. In a piercing voice, he said, Ajax of Salami, known as Ajax the Great. To Hector, Ajax looked as big as Ares prowling out of the Greek lines. The westering sun cast its gigantic shadow back over the massed Greeks and beyond them over the beaked ships drawn upon the sand. And his shield looked enormous and looked as big as a chariot wheel. It was made of nine bull hides bound in brass and he was using Ares' own spear, 20 feet long, shaft made of a single ash tree, which he had picked up after the god of war had dropped it upon being wounded by Diomedes. Ajax was the only mortal large enough to wield the fucking thing. Hector did not wish to give Ajax a chance to hurl the spear, so he cast his own javelin first, and it sped through the air and hit Ajax right in the spear. 
shattering the breast, uh, the breast and penetrating all but the little bullhide. Ajax shivered like a tree under the blow of a woodsman axe, but he steadied himself, drew back his knotted arm, and hurled Ares' spear. Now, Hector was using a smaller shield, also made of bullhide bound in brass, and he preferred a shield he could move about to uh, cover himself with rather than one he had to hide behind, because he depended more on speed and agility than his size. He was quite petite. When he saw the ash tree lance hurtling through the air towards him, he lifted his shield, which was immediately shattered by the spear, and his left arm fell to his side, completely numb. But he swerved his body, avoiding the spearhead, and suffered only a scratch on the shoulder, and that was it. But that cut spurted blood, and the Trojans all groaned. Ugh. Ajax did not pose on his follow-through, but let it take him into a wild boar rush upon his foe, his signature in battle, and Hector barely had time to scoop up a boulder, and he did not have time to hurl it, only bowled it across the ground, but he cast it so skillfully that it took out Ajax's legs from underneath him, and the big man sprawled onto the ground. And Hector whipped out his sword and rushed towards the fallen Ajax to cut off his head. Ajax, seeing his his death come, picked up a boulder by which it felled him and still lying on his back, hurled it at Hector, Hector, and it hit him on the breastplate and knocked him off his feet. Both men pulled themselves up and stepped towards each other, swords flashing, blades changed against Playing against breastplate and helmet, Ajax stood still. Uh, Hector circled him, half-crouched, darting in and out using edge and point, and both men were bruised, shaken, and bloody, but neither had the advantage. Not yet. It was at this point that Apollo intervened, uh, be it without meaning to. He had not intended to meddle in the fighting. There had always been some coldness between him and Zeus, and he did not dare defy the gods. He did not dare defy the High God's orders the way that Athena did. So after a consultation with the Owl Goddess herself, which had resulted in Hector's challenge and Ajax's reply, he had flown off to intercept his son Chariot, which in his absence was being driven by Helios the Charioteer. The Sun God took Helios's place in the Chariot, gathered the reins in one hand and whipped up the fire-maned stallions, and they set off in a swinging trot across the blue meadow of sky, heading towards the western rim. But when Apollo heard the shouting and of, of the uh, Greek and Trojans far below, heard the clang of sword against shield, he dipped lower to watch the fighting. The duel was exciting. He grew fascinated, and the first time in memory, he neglected his duties as the sun's coachman and allowed the stallions to stay in one spot, grazing on fluffy white cloud blossoms, and he kept the chariot reined in, burning a hole in the air charring the earth below. Until he smelled something burning, he saw great clouds of smoke pierced by dancing flames where the lingering coach had set forest ablaze. He put his horses to a gallop, leaving that place as quickly as he could, and fled bright as a comet towards the stables of night. But the land below had been charred over great distances, making a waste place which today they call the Sahara. His gallop westward had drawn a curtain of night across the earth. Greek and Trojans were amazed, and they saw the afternoon uh, and the sun in the afternoon dropped like red-hot coal, hissing into the sea beyond the western wall of the city. Hector and Ajax groped for each other in the darkness. Heralds bearing long willow wands rushed forth from the Trojan lines and Greek lines, calling, Night, night, sudden night, leave off fighting, and seek your tents, for the light has flown. This was the way they ended battles back in those days. Hector and Ajax stopped fighting. They felt the night wind on their brows. All at once, these dueling warriors who had avoided killing each other only by the blunder of a god felt closer to each other than anyone else on the earth. Noble Hector, said Ajax, I have never met a worthier foe. 
Nor have I, said Hector. Truly, I'm glad the light was so magically brief. I welcome this pause. We shall resume tomorrow, no doubt, said Ajax, and in the meantime, let us sleep, but pray, take this as a gift and a remembrance. He unbuckled a purple belt from around his waist, and it was of thick, soft wool embroidered in gold and black with the figures of dolphins that play off the Salami Islands, and they do sometimes the odd sex favor for man. Thank you, great Ajax. It is beautiful. I shall wear it proudly, but to take you this. It's never been yielded, sir, but now it's freely given. Hector, than whom a generous gesture always moved to the excess of generosity in return, he handed Ajax his silver hilted sword. Two warriors gave each other a very warm and sweaty manhug, turned, and went back to their own lines as the first stars trembled steel blue in the black sky. Morning light later revealed the battlefield so littered with corpses that Greek and Trojans agreed to a truce so that they might honor their dead, burn them, and uh, offer them to the gods as, as tribute, and then consign the bodies to decent flames once and for all. That morning, too, Zeus called the Council of the Gods on Mount Olympus. All the members of the Pantheon were required to attend, and Zeus spoke, brothers and sisters, daughters and wives. Many a time have I warned you, gathered here in sacred convo convocation, and individually to your faces, that I permit no direct intercession on the part of any god in the war below. We may keep our favorites, we may grant godlike dispensations and civilities, and the privileges of our godheads, but we are not permitted to descend upon the field of battle and actually handle arms like brawling mortals. Yet often as I have issued my edicts, and many times, just as many times, they have been disobeyed. Gods, I am not accustomed to being disobeyed. The very notion violates not only my principles, but my identity. There can be no Zeus when there is defiance of Zeus. You have violated my decrees, some of you, and have you have intervened not only in spirit, but on both sides of the field of battle. Only yesterday my eyes were offended by this unseemly spectacle of brother and sister actually spearing each other on the reeking plain. Do you not know that this is the way that gods destroy themselves? Not by being conquered, not by invasion, not by acts of foes, but by stooping beneath themselves and behaving like mortals. To behave like a mortal is to forfeit immortality, and to behave like an animal is to forfeit divinity. What is mankind to think when he sees Athena fighting with Ares? In other words, wisdom in conflict with warfare. Man, seeing this, can no longer be either wise or warlike, and since this race of man was created for edification and amusement, such a falling away from grace uh, makes the great creative principle of survival will provide with us an earthful of dull automata whose antics will find, we will find most boring throughout eternity. So I repeat my edict, and for the last time, if I catch any of you motherfuckers, and I mean anyone, no matter who or what the high domain is of that person, if I catch any god or goddess directly aiding Greek or Trojans, then I shall take the offender and cast him or her down into the depths of hell. Yes, I will plunge that one into the blackness of Hades. There, I will fork him with the roots of a mountain, and as a boy catches a snake with a cleft stick, but he cannot budge, but must lie there, with giant worms passing in and out of each eye socket, still alive, still possessing all his strength, all his desires, but unable to move, unable to shift, unable to be comforted, and, and this will last throughout eternity. Are there any fucking questions? There was silence. Finally, Poseidon, who always stood on his dignity with his brother Zeus, said, Really, these mortals and their affairs are so petty, 
Though unsavory, I don't see how any god can concern himself over much with this breed. Oh, we play favorites to be sure. I suppose that I tend to prefer the Trojans simply because the Greeks have offended me in times past. And it really, to choose between them would be like discriminating among columns uh, of ants because they, as they converge upon a breadcrumb that one is shaken from somebody's beard. Then casting a sidelong glance at Zeus, he continued, Look at them now. Those Greeks are so arrogant and impious. Why they are building their funeral barrows and none of them have thought to sacrifice to Zeus, Lord of Life? Have the Trojans sacrificed to you, brother? Oh yes, I believe they're doing that right now. Aren't those white bulls they are slaughtering? Yes. Well, as I said, there is little to choose between them, yet the Trojans do seem a bit more courteous. But for the gods to intercede, fuck you. Poseidon arose, shook the billows of his green garments, combed his beard with his fingers, struck three times with his trident upon the marble floor, summoning a tidal wave which curled its awful cold green tongue over Olympus. He slipped onto the cusp of that enormous wave, and upon his command it subsided, rolling him down into the ocean depths where stood his castle of coral and pearl. But the sea god left behind him slyly kindled a wrath in the heart of Zeus, because he had been given the idea that the Greeks had neglected sacrificing him. Dismissing the council after his tirade against intervention, Zeus decided uh, to do a little something himself to discomfort the Greeks. He translated himself to Mount Ida, where he had a summer home. He sat on the peak of Mount Ida, looking down upon the battlefield. Poseidon's jibe had worked. He was full of anger against the Greeks. So Mount Ida is north of Troy, and the Trojans faced westward as they tried to drive the Greeks into the sea. So when Zeus thundered, he thundered from the Trojan right, an ancient sign of good fortune. When Hector heard the thundering, he leapt to his feet and cried, Enough! Truce, brother, I hear thunder on the right. What is it? It's a sign from Zeus. He favors us in battle to come, so let it begin. To the attack! The Trojans armed themselves and began a furious attack upon the Greek positions, driving the Greeks backwards upon their ships. Diomedes tried to lead a counterattack and indeed breached the Trojan lines, but his chariot was drawn by the marvelous team of Aenus. And this get of the sun stallions were faster than any horses ever fold. But as he sped towards Hector, spear poised, Zeus saw him and hurled his lightning bolt as not to intercede, just like he'd begged the other gods not to. Thunder crashed, lightning struck directly in front of Diomedes' chariot, and there was an eerie flash, a suffocating smell of sulfur, and the horses reared. Diomedes tried to whip them through the smoke, but Zeus threw another thunderbolt, and again the heavens crashed on the Trojans' right flank. Again, the searing flash of light in Diomedes' path. Again, the sulfuric stench. The stallions reared again, whinnying in fright, and Diomedes realized that Zeus had decided to favor the Trojans that day or that hour, so he reined in his steeds and drove them back towards the Greek lines. Hector led another savage charge towards the ships. Uh, they were protected by a deep ditch called a fosse. Behind the ditch were earthworks of sand, and on top of the sand were uh, like entrenchments, and entrenched behind them were Greeks. Uh, Hector and his brother began to throw rocks into this, this, uh, this moat type thing, and to throw planks over it so that they could cross over. Sword in hand, they fought their way over the rude bridges and began to climb the earthworks. Watching from Olympus, Hera cried, My Greeks are being defeated. I can't bear the sight of it. Will no god help me? I must go alone to save them. But Apollo said, No, stepmother. It would not be prudent. Do not tempt the wrath of Zeus. And while he's down there, and while we're here alone, will you help me with my documentary for college? Every word he said to us this morning, 
was freighted with promises of eternal humiliation and torment for the God who would defy him. I know him well. You should not... Uh, you should know him better than that. If he sees you crossing the sky in your chariot, he will transfix you with a lightning bolt. Alas, I know those lightning bolts. I know how they can kill. Or did he not slay two of my sons? You remember Phadion, who borrowed my son's chariot, and careless, youthful, impetuous driver that he was, drove too high, too low, alternatively scorching and freezing the earth? Yes, Zeus toppled him from his chariot with one cast of a spear. And there was some justice to it, I suppose. It is the duty of Zeus to protect his realm. But how cruelly, and with what little cause, did he send his shaft through my son... Asclepius, the marvelous physician, whose only transgression was that he saved so many of his patients from death that it displeased dark asshole Hades, king of the underworld, who saw himself being deprived of clients, and complained to his brother Zeus, and Zeus complied by killing my wonderful son. So stepmother, I beg you, do not dare beg the awful wrath. Do not help Greeks. It, didn't. it is not their day-to-day. -day. Return to your peak. Abide the question. Hera was convinced. She returned to her peak and sorrowfully watched the Greeks being slaughtered below. Now the Greeks were driven back to their ships, and if they allowed the Trojans to advance any further, the ships would be burned, and with them, all hopes of sailing homeward ever again. Agamemnon tried to exhort his men, and his phrasing was just as tactless as ever. Cowards, he bellowed. Empty braggarts, are you those who claimed one Greek was worth a hundred Trojans? Stand the numbers on their head, and we have... We may arrive at something more sensible, for I have not seen one Trojan, for I have seen, no, for I have not seen one Trojan, Hector, driving a hundred of you at spear point like a shepherd dog herding sheep. His voice broke into hoarse sobs, tears streaming from his eyes. He turned his face to the sky and said, Oh, Father Zeus, why are you punishing me so? Have I not always sacrificed bulls to you, the very finest I could call for my herd, great white bulls with black eyes and polished horns and coral nostrils. Swaying broad-backed white oxen, too, or did I, perchance, by error, neglect some sacrifice or libation to you? Is it for this your hard hand falls so heavily upon me and my men, delivering us to the enemy? Did not you yourself send me a dream, bidding me attack the Trojans, promising me victory? Is this the price of my obedience, O Father Zeus? Have mercy. Let me at least drive the Trojans a little away from my ships, if you can vouchsafe me no greater victory." Although Zeus was still annoyed at the Greeks, he was still intent to keep his promise to Thetis that the Greeks would not be denied victory until Agamemnon should plead for Achilles' help. Until Agamemnon could beg Achilles for his help. Uh, but still, Zeus was kind of a punk, so uh, he was touched by the Mycenaean king's plea, and he relented a little bit, and this took the form of a fresh courage that fired through the Greeks' hearts. As crude as Agamemnon's words were, the Greeks responded to his speech and launched a counterattack. They hurled down the plank bridges and drove the Trojans back from the lip of the fosse. Teucer now had become the most effective of the Greeks, a guy named Teucer. Hiding behind the enormous shield of his brother Ajax, he shot arrow after arrow, and it was as if Zeus had personally guided each of his shafts. Ah, shafts. Uh, he loosed nine arrows, and each one of them killed somebody. Nine Trojans fell, nine of the best, and with his genius for saying the wrong thing, Agamemnon now rushed up to Teucer crying, Hail, great archer, every arrow you let fly kills another Trojans, but you must redouble your efforts. Snatch your arrows faster from your quiver, notch them more speedily to your bowstring, and shoot one after the other without delay, for you must kill as many Trojans as possible while Zeus smiles on you. He smiles briefly, as we well know. 
Why flog a horse that is breaking his wind galloping for you, said Tuzer. I cannot shoot any faster. Certainly you can. You want an, in, want an indictment? Listen, I promise you this. Eight. As High King and Commander of the Forces, I pledge that when we finally take and sack Troy, you shall have the woman you choose for your very own. And no matter what, how many princes contend for her and may take their choice from among the daughters of Priam and the other beautiful maidens of the court, you will have your pick. Thank you for nothing, said Tuser. When we take Troy, I'll do my own choosing. And now, please, break off of this discourse and let me continue to send my bullets into the ranks of the enemy. As we stand here talking, they're regrouping. If we linger like this, the only thing we'll be talking that we'll be taking is a ferry across the river Styx. And sure enough, by the time he had notched another arrow to his bowstring, Hector had approached close enough to hurl a, a, just a big-ass rock that caught Tuser square, toppling him and crushing his taller, collarbone. And so went all of his hopes of shooting again. That would have been the end of the superb tiny little archer, except Diomedes scooped him up into his chariot and galloped with him to safety behind the Greek lines. This was the turning point again. Zeus felt that he had responded sufficiently to Agamemnon's prayer and withdrew his favor in its entirety. At which point, the Trojans crossed the fosse again and forced the Greeks step by step back toward their ship. Back towards their ship. Hera, watching on high, was again seized by savage dissatisfaction. With the Imperius burning displeasure that was the hallmark of her character, Come, Athena, she cried, we must help the Greeks. No, Father Zeus has forbidden it, said Athena. My conduct is defined by my neglect of his decrees, said Hera. Am I a wife for nothing? Forbid it or not, we must go down there, or the Greeks are fucked. And after all our efforts, it's intolerable. Be patient, but a little while, stepmother, said Athena. I know that Zeus, in the long-term measure of things, will be able to abide by his oath of neutrality. He, too, as much as any of us, is bound by uh, the anciently woven destiny of the fates, who are older than the gods and less changeable. He knows that Troy must fall. It will never fall while the Trojans are killing all the Greeks, said Hera. Patience, mother Zeus. Patience, mother. Zeus is but keeping the promise he made to Thetis, the silver-footed... Uh, Greek mother of Achilles, and the promise is that the Greek fortunes would ebb until Agamemnon should be humbled and have time to come to Achilles' tent to plead with him to drop the grudge and end the list of war again. When that happens, and this time it's drawing near, then Zeus will resume his impartiality and let the fates work. Hera said, I can't wait that long. There will be nothing left down there but Trojans, and if you don't join me, I'm going alone. But Hera had no sooner climbed into her chariot than Zeus made his uh, power felt, because before she had a chance to whip up her horses, swift-winged Iris, the messenger goddess, flashed across the sky from Mount Ida, where she had been sitting at Zeus's feet, awaiting work. Father Zeus is watching you, she said. He is listening. He sees and hears across great distances. He knows your intentions, and he instructs me to say that if the wheels of your chariot leave this peak, you will be transfixed by a thunderbolt, which even now he holds ready, ready to hurl. Hera threw down the reins and pulled herself from the coach, weeping little bitch. Athena tried to comfort her. Take comfort, mother. Night is falling, and the fighting is going to stop. Perhaps in the watches of the night, Father Zeus will relent and tomorrow turn his favor to the Greeks. Or allow us, maybe, to aid them. If he will not, he is changeable. You know this. His moods are brief, and they are very violent. Hera, still sobbing, allowed herself to be led into her chamber. Sentries, watching from the walls of Troy, were comforted by the sights of hundreds of fires burning on the beach. Trojan fires. This meant that the Trojans had and the Greeks into a narrow marge between the forest and the ocean. Hector ranged among the fires, exhorting his men. Tomorrow, he cried, tomorrow is our day. I feel it in my heart. 
Tomorrow we will finish what we have begun so well today. We will force them back upon their ships and slay every one of them. We will teach haughty invaders never again breach, try to breach the land of Troy. On the Greek side, the scene was much different. Dismay hung like a pal and no watchfires gleamed at all, but a solemn conclave was going on in Agamemnon's tent. Kings and princes, he said, members of the council, I pray your forgiveness, and as commander I must take supreme responsibility for our defeat. And now I ask for your advice. Do you think we should try to save what we can, launch our ships under the cover of night, uh, this night, I mean, and sail for home? Tomorrow, remember, the enemy may cross this ditch and burn down our ships, cutting off our retreat. That is the question that we must resolve here and now. Do we depart tonight, or gird ourselves for tomorrow, knowing that this morrow may be our last among the living? Yomadi spoke briefly. The rest of you can leave. Everyone. But I'll stay. And my charioteer, Slothachnet. Stephanius? If all of the rest of you go, together we will mount the chariots and drive Aeneas' wonderful horses against the Trojans, killing as many as we can. Before we are killed in our turn, and if you want my real recommendation, my king, it would be for us to burn the ships tonight ourselves, cutting off our own retreat, and giving every doubter among us the great gift of no alternative. Better to be cut down here like men than to skulk home like pussies, defeated, dishonored, and disgraced. Fucking A. Diomedes, you're a very wise young man, said Nestor, but you speak like an idiot. Most of the time, except in this instance, your words are golden, my boy, golden. I cannot quite hold you with your... Uh, I cannot quite hold with you on burning our ships, but this much is sure. We must not sail home tonight. Of course, we must stay and fight. And by the gods, if we face the enemy without dismay, we will win, for the fates have foretold it. And their decree, not even the gods can alter, that's for sure. But... I have to say this, we must decide on our very important steps tonight, and by this I mean we must coax Achilles back onto the field of battle. Agamemnon, the burden is yours. You must apologize to him and make amends, and I know this will torment your proud spirit, but you have no choice, truly. You must take it upon yourself that humiliation must eat your arrogant words, return the slave girl you took from him, give him his rich compensation. Uh, besides, perhaps we can persuade him to fight tomorrow. Lord Agamemnon, this is absolutely necessary. Without Achilles, we are just an army, but with him, we're an unstoppable force. Agamemnon spoke. Honorable Nestor, dear sage, adept counselor, I speak no word in objection. I will humble my spirit and do everything necessary to persuade Achilles to join our ranks once again. I was wrong to quarrel with him, wrong to take uh, Perseus, wrong, wrong, wrong. I can ascribe my actions only to some hostile god aiding my wits and doing us more harm thereby than if he had supplied the Trojans with a co company of slingers, a company of archers, and a cavalry troop. Now, I have come to my senses yet again. Harsh defeat has restored my balance, goddammit. I see how misguided I was. And this is what I propose to do for Achilles. If he consents to stand beside us tomorrow, hark now to my gift of appeasement. First, cooking ware rich enough to prepare a feast for the gods. Seven bronze kettles, 20 huge pots of burnished copper, each of them big enough to boil an oxen, 10 gold ingots, each of them weighing almost 100 pounds, 6 teams of matched stallions that in a chariot race would uh, press the sun-bred stallions of Aenus, 7 girl slaves, and the most beautiful of all captured in the 9 years of the island raiding uh, for him. All of those contortionists and a very good, all of them are great contortionists and very good at embroidery. That's useful. Lastly, I shall return to him, Briseis, and with that, my oath, and with her, my oath, that she comes back to his hands, untouched by me. Generous? Yeah, maybe. 
but this is only the start, good sirs. When we return to Greece, I shall bestow upon him other gifts beyond the dream of Everest. I shall consider him my son, an elder brother to Orestes, with all the privileges appertaining to a prince royal in Mycenae. He will choose a wife from among my two beautiful daughters. His dowry will be seven cities, the richest in the land. I pray you, inform Achilles of my offer, and bring me his answer. Very well, said Nestor, and on your behalf of war council, let me thank you for your remarkable generosity that you now display. I have no doubt that it will make Achilles forget the insult that he suffered at your hands in front of everybody he knows. I propose that overtures be made to him by the men he respects most. Uh, Phoenix, his old tutor, Odysseus, Ajax, and I myself will accompany these three for, in all modesty, he esteems me also. The delegation went to the tent that Achilles was staying in, and they found a very peaceful scene. There was a driftwood fire burning, smell of roasting meat, and Achilles was playing in a silver-chased chair and playing a lyre, singing about a boar hunt in uh, Pythia. Patroclus' cousin lay back, listening dreamily, and Achilles sprang to his feet when he saw the guests. He embraced him, calling to Patroclus. You see, my cousin, how we are honored, our companions, battle-weary, come to visit us instead of refreshing themselves with sleep. O son of Peleus, wonderful inventor of the glory hole, said Patrocles, I believe you misread their intent. They come not to exchange amenities, nor pass the time, not even indulge themselves in your warm and wonderful hospitality. They come on business. Messed up business by the look of it. Am I right, my friends? Your wits have always been as sharp as your sword, good Patrocles, said the even sharper Odysseus, and, unlike your sword, have been given no chance to grow rusty. <laughs> yes, we come on business. And it is grim business indeed. Survival is always a grim affair. And it is particularly grim when your enemies have you pinned down on a narrow stretch of beach, threatening to slaughter you like cattle in the morning and burn your ships. Business or not, grim or not, boomed Achilles. Nevertheless, we shall preserve the amenities. You have come on a visit in my tent, and it is my custom to feed visitors. So, Patrocles, will you do the honors of the table, sir? Patrocles served the savory roasted meat and the rich purple wine, and greedily the guests fell to. Agamemnon had neglected to feed them at the council, but when they had fed, Achilles said, Now, sirs, say to me what you will, because I am at all attention. Odysseus was the spokesman in pretty much any delegation, told Achilles how greatly Agamemnon desired to make amends, and of the rich gifts he was offering. Achilles answered, saying, If anything could persuade me to drop my feud with Agamemnon and join the battle against Trojans, it would not be his bribes, but the feeling of comradeship, respect, and affection that I have for you, great Odysseus, and you, Ajax, and you, Nestor, and you, Phoenix, beloved friend and mentor, Nevertheless, my answer must be, uh, no. I loathe and despise Agamemnon in an open meeting before all his troops. He insulted me repeatedly, spoke to me as if he, as if I were the seediest of camp followers, laid rude hands upon Briseis and dragged her away. So, my friends, when you report back to him, tell him to keep his cooked pots and ingots and his talented slave girls in seven cities in Mycenae. And as for his kind offer to wed me to one of his daughters, I can only say this. I have not met either of the two young ladies, and I hope, for their own sakes, that they resemble their mother... Clistemstra or their Aunt Helen. Nevertheless, heredity is a quirky thing. Uh, liniments and traits of personality have been known to skip generations. So ask my lord Agamemnon if he thinks I would risk having a son or daughter with his pig face and verminous disposition. No, gentlemen, the answer is no. Tomorrow at dawn, my myrmidons and I board our ships and sail to Pythia. Patroclus comes with me, and you, Phoenix old teacher, do not stay and sacrifice yourself in this stupid war. But come aboard my ship and sail home, please. Phoenix could not speak. His voice was strangled with tears. He simply nodded to Achilles and embraced Nestor and Odysseus and Ajax in farewell. They said not a word in protest, knowing that it was futile. 
but took a courteous leave of Achilles and left his tent. Now I know that pride cometh before the fall, but goddamn, let me say, nothing says I mean business like that. Fucking Achilles, he's a, uh... He's quite the character. What I like about this, this story is that not really anybody in it is likable, just by their own traits alone. Like, I see horrible aspects of my personality in everybody, and like the main characters at least. Like manipulation of Odysseus, the just bullheadedness of Agamemnon, fucking pride of Achilles. And I, I have a hard time picking out one character that I just like, other than Hector, really, based on his fucking moral stand, standing or beliefs or actions. I think the only person that I can really say was seemed like a decent dude the entire time was Hector. And that being said, he was still not really a great guy. He's a great warrior, great general, but not the best. But I really like how this illustrates that not really anybody here was terribly likable. And it's just an interesting perspective because most war epics, they paint somebody to look like, you know, the tragic underdog or the brave hero or whatever. And they kind of do that in this, or Homer kind of does that in this story, but he really paints a realistic picture to, I think, illustrate the fact that they were all fallible men. But that being said, they were Greek fallible men, so they were better than most. And on that note, I am going to call it a night. I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning back in. This has been another exciting episode of the Anthology of Horror. Let me go over the most influential people from last week. Because you guys have been doing a wonderful job of sharing this podcast. I am extremely grateful. I've seen some of you uh, tagging me on their Instagram feeds. I've seen you at different spots uh, giving shouts out to the show, and I genuinely appreciate it. I've gotten emails from a decent number of people. Sorry if it takes me a while to get back, but I do genuinely like hearing from you guys. Uh, please don't send me pictures of penises, but I do uh, appreciate like normal emails with constructive criticism and uh, whatnot. And you can send me a constructive email that doesn't in does not involve pictures of penises at springheeljack at anthologyofhorror.com. Yes, I have made my very own professional email account because uh, I'm a sellout and I needed one. So you can also reach me at Instagram. Uh, at DukeLandis17. That's Instagram.com slash DukeLandis17. You can check out the show's website, which is another heinously mature thing that I've done with help from people that know what they're doing, and that is AnthologyOfHorror.com. And from there, you can be linked to the Patreon, which is some... I don't fully understand how it works, but it's this magic website where if you feel I deserve it, you can donate money to keep the show going. Which, not that I expect payment, but this... Uh, the show does not have any sponsors, so this is essentially a feudal empire when it comes to people helping out with the production or the post-production or the pre-production. So any little bit helps, including ratings on iTunes. If you feel that I deserve it, please, can, if you could rate the show five stars and leave a positive review, that would be great. I'm very flattered at the ratings standing where they are right now, which is a, a near-perfect score. hundred and something people have reviewed it, and I'm flattered. So if you could continue to do that, it would keep things rolling at a smooth and steady pace. So for last week, the city with the most influential amount of listeners. Let, let me see. Number one, once again, Mount Joy, Pennsylvania. Thank you, Mount Joy. Followed distantly by Brentwood, Tennessee, Glasgow, Scotland, Portland, Oregon, San Antonio, Texas, Los Angeles, California. Scottsdale, Arizona, Rancho Cucamonga, California, 
Hockley, England, Cleveland, Ohio, Redlands, California, Alexandria, Virginia, Nixa, Missouri, Washington Courthouse, Ohio, and, oh, forgive me, Escanaba, Michigan, and Galena, Kansas. I realized that was more than 10, but I was like uh, reading the top cities. So, thank you all very much for continuing to tune back in for your consistent patronage. And uh, to all new listeners, thank you very much for giving us a chance. If you liked it, and like I said, please check out the rating section on iTunes. Please tell your buddies. Um, I do take requests for shows, and uh, part of the Patreon appeal, I think, is that they are selling uh, show suggestions, essentially. Like, if you want something specifically, you can put forth a request, like a jukebox, essentially. Like a bar jukebox, where they never seem to play your music until odd times, but they will play it. It's kind of what the Patreon's working as right now. But on that note, my uh, long-winded lecture is done, and that's it. Thank you very much. Until next time, stay spooky.